Yep. Good morning. Okay, it is on. I'm Randy Reinhardt. I'm the presiding elder for today, and I wanted to welcome everyone to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. If you can take a moment to sign the pew pads that are at the end of the pews, just so we know who's here, we'd love to have your names in there. There's coffee and lemonade in the fellowship hall following the service, and we'd love to meet and greet everyone there. I don't think there's any other announcements this morning, but I'm looking for Carrie is coming down the aisle right now. Bruce, can you start us off with the prelude, please? Oh. I love that desk camp. I love hearing that song. And as I was driving in this morning, thinking about how many blessings are on all of our plates, I saw a heron by the canal. I saw a deer calmly waiting by the road and not crossing. Oh, thank God for everything. So who has another one they want to hear this morning? Let's hear it, Clara. What would you like? 611. What are we singing? All right, good choice. 611. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Shall we do first and last? First and last. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee.
up. You're just waiting. What is it, my dear? How great thou art, 625. How great thou art, 625. First and last, please. Gee, how about that, Deb? You're just hitting it. Would you, would you mind deferring? Yes, I would. That's fine. Then, Bruce, would you please regale us with your prelude? Okay. Thank you, sir. That starts us off with a bang. Thank you, Dr. Frank. Please join me in our call to worship. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Remember the wonderful works he has done, his miracles and the judgments he has uttered.
please join me in the prayer of the day. Rescuing God, we worship you, and we praise you for the wondrous truth of your existence with us in Christ Jesus, with us in the midst of all the storms and struggles, tests and trials of our lives. Help us to sense your presence and to hear the voice of our Lord Jesus speaking peace to the winds, which arise suddenly and rage in our souls and in the world. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus and to be attentive to his word, whether calling us to walk or to wait, that our obedient response may witness to our faith in you. Amen. Friends, let us confess our sinfulness to Almighty God, using these printed words as our guide. How easy it is for us to see others in terms of black and white and allow ourselves shades of gray. How quickly we judge others by what they fail to do and how quick we are to give excuses for our actions. How easy it is for us to look askance at how someone is spending their money and how fast we are to make allowances for our own spending habits, how readily we hold others to the rules, and how quick we are to allow ourselves to bend the rules to justify our actions. We are so eager to hold everyone accountable to the letter of the law and to give ourselves a measure of grace. Forgive us, O God for trying to take upon ourselves the responsibility that is yours alone. In these moments of stillness, release us from the harshness of our ways and fill us with the love of Christ, that we might extend the gift of grace, which has been so graciously given to us. Amen. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and is so justified, and one confesses with the mouth and is so saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame.
Oh, I turned it off. Thanks, John. Our gospel reading this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 14, 22 to 33. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Thanks be to God. I hope my voice is loud enough. I have a teacher's voice. So I think there are just a handful of kids today that are out here. And if you want to come forward, Maddie, keep me company. If anybody else has small children, please stand forward. But it might just be a handful today.
So never forget that when the storms rage and you are afraid. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. You all can head out to the camping now. Mr. Fox. Our epistle reading this morning is from the book of Romans 10, 5 through 15. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. 
But the righteousness that comes from faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Thanks be to God.
So Carrie had mentioned that there are nine pastors in my family, which is a lot. I'm not one of nine children, I'm one of four, but all my siblings are married to pastors, and there are pastors in their family as well. So the the running joke in my family was that I was the black sheep, (laughs) because I didn't go into the ministry directly. It's true, I didn't go into the ministry, uh, but all of us. I believe are called to be lights that shine in the darkness in whatever field we labor in, and I happen to labor in the classroom. And we are to be lights that shine the light of Christ into a dark world. And so in that respect, all of us, all of us in this room are ministers together. I have been studying Chinese Christianity for the last 20 years. And the church in central China's Anhui province for the last 15 years. So all of my research takes place in a very poor province that's not on the coast. It does have one of China's major rivers that flows through the province, and the city that I did my research in is on that major river. We know it as the Yangtze River. I want to speak today about the Chinese church as a whole, but I also want to speak about one congregation in particular, And that congregation's name is Christmas Church. So that banner over there means a lot to me because in my mind it represents that particular church. To give you a sense of where Anqing is, if you think of China as roughly the same size as the United States, granted the U.S. is a a little bit larger, that New York City and Beijing are on the same latitude and Anqing and Mobile, Alabama are on the same latitude. But Anqing is very small by Chinese standards. Its population is only 800,000. That barely makes it a city. The eight counties that surround the city of Anqing and that are under the political and government control of this city have a combined population of six million people. And that's the size also of Hong Kong. So that's a, that's a much larger population area. Now for more than a century, the United States sent missionaries to China and the greatest wave of missionaries left for China between the 1880s and the 1920s. And they represented all the different Protestant denominations. These missionaries took the Great Commission literally, and they brought the gospel to China. They often did not separate their faith from their culture, and they brought with them all things American and modern, from ideas about family life, the relationships between the genders, to the latest in science and technology, medicine, and of course, education. In these years, American missionaries sometimes bordered on the arrogant and their assumptions of Western superiority, though it cannot be denied that they did play a very important part in the modernization of the country. Still, this sense that we have had of ourselves as a people in a nation blessed by God has sometimes blinded us to our own faults and weaknesses, even though I do believe that we are a nation and a people that have been blessed by God. There are things as a people and a nation and as a church 
that we can learn from outside of ourselves. That's the heart of what I want to talk about today. What I think the American church can learn from our brothers and sisters in China. And I want to call these the lessons from the Chinese church. Now before I talk about the local church, I want to talk about the national church. Church here with a capital C. Until 30 years ago, this would have been about 1980, Christianity in China was assumed to have died. It was a victim of the communist revolution that began in 1949 and that reached its frenzied peak during the Cultural Revolution decade. That was the mid-60s to the mid-70s. When Mao died in 1976 and the beginning of China's opening up to the outside world began in 1980, particularly opening up to the United States and to the West, news of the reemergence of Christianity and of religious belief in general began to surface. It's gone from a trickle to a torrent, from a faith of older retired women to a belief of young and old, male and female. And this is really nothing short of a miracle. For how else can one explain such phenomenal growth and numbers. Now, I need to put this in perspective. What numbers am I talking about? In 1949, the National Christian Council of Churches commissioned a survey of the number of Catholics and the number of Protestants throughout China. And this was a survey to sort of get a sense of, well, how many Chinese believers are there after more than a century of missionary activity? And they discovered that there were less than a million professing Christians in the Protestant tradition. It's kind of a drop in the bucket after 100 years of labor, although that labor was not in vain. Then Mao's victory came in 1949, and the steady flow of depressing news to the outside world about the agonizing death of the church in China. But there's a great paradox here. Because after 65 years of rule by the Chinese Communist Party, there are conservatively today, and this is the conservative figure, 75 million Protestants. And the upper figure, and a lot of experts are increasingly gravitating towards this upper figure, 100 million. That's just in the Protestant tradition. That is staggering if you think about it. Now, with a population of over 1.3 billion people, 100 million still seems like a drop in the bucket. But that's 8% of China's population. And that number indicates that there are quite possibly now in China more people who are actively engaged in their faith life as a Christian than those in the United States and Canada. Chinese Protestantism is complicated. It's divided into two camps. There is an officially state-recognized church organization that was created in the 1950s after the forced merger of all the different denominations. It's called a post-denominational denomination. It's the only body that the government recognizes. This organization actually makes up the minority of Christian belief in the country, but it functions often like an umbrella 
to shield all the Christians who are outside of this official organization. Most Christians who I met belonged to another group. In the West, it was known as the house church or the underground church, although we don't use the word underground very much any longer because it's not so much underground. It's very much a public house church movement to this day. The house church is a product of the 1950s when many Christians went underground to escape government persecution or who refused to participate in the state-organized official church. They believed in the separation of church and state. People worshipped in secret in the 1950s and 60s, most often in small groups, away from the watchful eyes of the party. Those who are involved in this movement no longer worship in secret today, but they mostly gather in small groups of anywhere from 10 to 100 people, although I have known some house churches to have more than 500 people. They do not have official recognition by the state, and as a result, they can be subject to persecution. Often, however, Christians move back and forth between the official church and the house churches, and the dividing line is very blurred between the two. They may worship in a state church on Sunday and then meet in small Bible study groups throughout the week in private homes. And when they do that, meeting in private homes that way, that is considered illegal activity. They may also live in a remote village so far away from the city that they care very little about recognition by the state and so have never applied. That's the national picture. What's the local picture? What about Christmas church? I want to tell you about this specific church and about the pastor there, and I've come to think of this pastor as one of my brothers. The Protestant church in Anqing was founded by two different missionary groups, one from the United States and the other from England and Canada. They had a large presence in the city and built several schools, a major hospital, and many churches. When missionaries pulled out of China after 1949, there were a few hundred converts in the city limits, and they worshipped in a relatively small chapel since the larger cathedral church had been heavily bombed by the Japanese during World War II. This chapel eventually closed in the 1950s, and all church-owned property was seized by the government and converted over to public use. The chapel became a shoe factory. Believers were afraid to worship in public, and suffering was so great that some even committed suicide or were sent to work in labor camps for more than two decades of their life. By 1980, religious practice was restored to the Chinese people with a new national constitution. And on Christmas Eve of that year, Christmas Eve 1980, the church in Anqing reopened. Five members turned out for the first service. They worshipped in the old chapel that had once been the shoe factory, and they renamed that chapel Christmas Church. Today, 34 years later, there are 7,000 members, 7,000 in that one church. The church can only hold 1,000 people, so they take turns, and many walk more than 15 miles 
to come into the city to worship on a Sunday. If you think about the larger district that I said has a total population of 6 million, there are 150,000 Christians in that larger district. These are spread out among officially registered churches and meeting points, of which there are now more than 60, and then a vast network of unregistered house churches. There is one ordained pastor for this flock, only one, and he serves more like a bishop, and he oversees a large staff of church evangelists and lay workers. He also seeks to shield the house churches from the watchful eyes of the state. His name is Jung Yukwa, or Timothy Jung. I call him Elder Brother Jung, and he calls me Younger Brother Fish. <laughs> this past March, he was here to visit our church, and I'll speak more about this at the end of my sermon. Carrie got a chance to meet him and his friend Jacob. Well, this growth from five to 7,000 in over three decades, is truly stunning. How is it possible? What accounts for it? And what does Pastor Timothy and the church congregants have to say about it? How does this one church mirror what has been occurring throughout the entire nation? In short, the Anqing Church has learned to get out of the boat and to walk towards Jesus' outstretched arms even as the storms of life have been raging on. And they proclaim him openly, as Paul, the author of Romans, would have us do, to confess with their lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. Timothy and the church members that I talked to speak of the suffering that the Chinese people in church experienced during the harsh Mao years. We in the U.S. know little of this kind of suffering, Individually, we may suffer, and we do. We experience great sorrows and pains. Our loved ones die. We may succumb to cancer. But seldom has our suffering been collective suffering, our suffering because of our faith. Chinese Christians have known great sorrows precisely because of their beliefs. And in the worst years, many risked imprisonment, death, derision by their bosses and co-workers, even rejection from their family. The Chinese government also badly discredited itself by how it abused the population over so many decades, particularly from the 1950s to Mao's death in 1976. This created a giant vacuum of belief in any authority. For those who have embraced Jesus, this void has been filled by their faith in Christ. Church congregations have also been providing a strong sense of community, of common purpose and cohesion. This is all the more striking in a society that is changing as rapidly as is China today. As people have moved from the countryside to the city by the hundreds of millions in what is considered the world's largest mass migration of humanity ever. They've moved from the farm to the factory floor. They often feel lost at sea in a storm of faceless urbanism. Local churches serve as anchors in such a climate. 
Until relatively recently, most Chinese have also been quite poor, with little material comforts. Timothy says that this, too, has been another major factor in the explosion of the church in China. A lack of materialism, because there was nothing, coupled with the discrediting of the state, fueled people's spiritual hunger. There were few distractions to fill that hunger with something else. Timothy believes that we in America have been so richly blessed, so smothered by our material prosperity, particularly after World War II, that we have forgotten the very source of our blessings, that Christ has solely been replaced by our prosperity, by the latest fads, by our material possessions. And I have to agree with him on this. Recently, Timothy has begun to wonder if China's recent rise in prosperity and its a meteoric rise, the growing middle class, he worries that perhaps this will provide the same kind of distractions for Chinese Christians that it has for us. It's a troubling thought. Finally, and this may be one of the biggest reasons of them all for the growth of the Chinese church, Chinese Christians have not been afraid to share the gospel, and they share it with their family, their friends, their neighbors, and even with complete strangers. There are two cases I know of that are particularly instructive on this last point. I just want to briefly describe them to you. In one instance, a small village laborer went to the coast in the early 1990s to work in the construction industry. He got involved in a small house church there, and after returning to his home village two years later, he witnessed to his parents. They converted. They witnessed to their brothers and sisters and their neighbors. And within 10 years, 700 villagers had converted. And they quickly outgrew the small house church that was meeting in the living room, and they built a very large church to accommodate 700 people. Another story is that of Elder He, who's now in her late 70s. She has not stopped sharing the good news in her neighborhood. And since her profession of faith in the mid-1990s, she is directly responsible for more than 60 conversions. That's directly responsible. Many of the people who she converted have gone on to witness to others. So what can the lessons to the church in America be? What can our Chinese brothers and sisters in Christ teach us? Four points. One, do not be afraid of sorrows and suffering that come our way, of the storms that threaten to sink our boats. We must remember that while we have been given the ultimate assurance that Jesus calms all storms, we know that the suffering can bear fruit. While we forget what God can do to heal our struggles while we are in the midst of them, there is proof of how he can turn our setbacks into later victories. A second lesson. We must see how the church functions as a community, as a family. It is a community that should provide stability, guidance, grace, love, and direction. It's a community that should not mirror the secular society around it, but instead rise above it 
we must be willing to give ourselves to this community and serve with open hearts. Three, we must strive to not let materialism quench or replace our spiritual thirst. We can be thankful to God for what he has provided us, but we must continue to develop a spiritual life that is more than just a Sunday morning practice. Number four, we should grow emboldened to take our promise of salvation through Jesus Christ to others, to take risks in speaking with our own family and friends and neighbors by example, by word, and by deed. For how else can we begin to have an impact like that village son who returned home or Elder He and her local community? What of our future together? Because I do believe that the church in China and our church has a future together. There is great hope on the Chinese side that more and more bridges will be created between the two of us. The Chinese church in Anqing is undertaking new building projects, and they're dreaming about their own future. But this is a dream that sees the American church, including our church here in Pittsburgh, playing an active role. Pastor Timothy is rebuilding that old cathedral that was bombed by the Japanese during World War II, and his recent trip this past spring to our church was all part of an investigation tour he took to Rochester and to my hometown in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, to look at old American churches so that they could serve as models for the restoration of that hundred-year-old church. The Unching Church has also recently bought a large piece of property on the outskirts of town. It's a former junior high school in the middle of mountainous farmland, and the pastor and his team want to rehab that facility and open an orphanage, a senior center, and a shelter for battered women. And they need partners in this venture, for it's a grand venture indeed. It's for this reason that I'm hoping to take a mission team to China within the next two years, a mission team from this church. And I ask that you prayerfully consider to become part of this team. We are a congregation that believes in mission. We are engaged locally and internationally. Right now, Bruce and a team from our church are in Kenya, and we have a long and storied presence there. But I ask us not to close that door in Kenya, but just open another door to link with our brothers and sisters in Unching. We have much to learn from them, spiritual practices to deepen our own faith lives, claiming hope in the darkness. We also have much to offer. Thank you. Navid, thank you so much for sharing from your heart and from your scholarship and from your willing to venture for 20 years. So that, that thesis didn't take you nine months. It took a couple of years to write. Yeah, absolutely. I can see how you've poured yourself into that. Recognizing that God has indeed called each one of us to minister in different ways using our gifts, let us with gratitude return a portion of those gifts to God using this offertory prayer. God of power and peace, as you pushed back the dark waters at creation to bring forth life upon the earth, 
So today you are still pushing back the dark forces in this world which threaten the life you intend, which cause war and oppression, abuse and all manner of hunger. We make this offering in trust that it may be used to still the raging waters in our day and bring in the realm of peace, which is your will and way for the earth. Amen. Please be seated, friends. We have a number of prayer cards for today, as well as celebrations and additional concerns for our congregation. Um, today, as, as Nevin mentioned in his brilliant sermon to us, is Bruce's birthday. And Martha is teaching this morning. Otherwise, I would ask her how many... Oh, no, I'm sorry. She's there. You're right there. No, sorry, sorry. I just looked out and couldn't find you. Sorry, 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 sorry. I couldn't see you. So how many years have you separate, have been uh, away from one another for birthdays? Oh, okay. There you go. But they've arrived safely. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. All is well. That is great. Can't wait to hear of the ministry of all three teams. Bev, 
We're in prayer for the entire team and everybody over there and hoping that Adam stays malaria-free for this upcoming year. Right? Right. <laughs> Phenomenal. And Jeanette, dance team returns tomorrow. goodness. Despite all the precautions. Okay, well, keep your prayers going, friends, because we know the power of prayer. Let's, let's um, anticipate healing and their safe return. Amy Saxon, you're all the way in the back, aren't you? Thank you for adding your joy. I couldn't quite see your mom's face, but I know the mother-daughter connection, and I was weeping when you sang. Thank you for adding your joy to us this morning. We appreciate that. And Pharisees, you get to worship with us after having survived a tremendous wedding. And Matt and Stacy are, are well? Fabulous. Congratulations. We are sorry for the loss of your dog. And we give thanks and praise for the life and the love that he shared with you. We also give thanks and praise for the life of Mike Henning. And Bev, we, we too are very sorry, but delighted to see you here this morning. Lee Fox, are you still in the ante room? There you are, my dear. And I just learned of your dad's passing. I'm so sorry. We welcome you back with open arms. Knowing that we all have things that we carry and are confident of God's healing. And, oh, I'm sorry, Janet. Janet Jennison has put in a prayer request for her niece, her niece Susan, waiting to be evacuated from northern Iraq. We are indeed in prayer for all Christians in the Middle East, for all peoples in the Middle East. Nevin, I loved your choice of hymn, middle hymn this morning. This is my song because we are all one of God's creation. So we pray for this time of turmoil, for good decisions on that of all of our leaders, and for indeed world peace. Please join me in prayer, friends. God of all knowledge, before whom nations rise and pass away, by whom all of us are made, we bow down in awe of your infinite wisdom. You discern our inmost thoughts and sense our needs. You are the quickening fire of judgment that renders us liable for our deeds and our misdeeds. And yours is the reconciling spirit of atonement, which can lift us from the depths of sin and failure and disappointment. You set us aright so that we may walk henceforth in your mercy. For all this and more, we give you thanks. God of miracles, we pray for ourselves and our loved ones when we need your intervention. Teach us our dependence on your grace and heal us with your mercy. Help us, O oh God, to pray for both the oppressed and the oppressors so that all might be included in your gift of redemption for which we give you thanks. We thank you for the gift of your son who showed his love for us in his own suffering and was raised by you to life eternal. Help us to focus upon you. Be lifted by your spirit and blow your spirit to others. Let us begin by praying as our Savior taught us together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
as well, knowing that the storm has been calmed and that we have that blessed assurance. Amen. Thank you.